Peace be upon you. So God willing, today we're going to try to tackle a very uh, uh, deep question, but inshallah we'll do our best to look at the verse of the Quran and the Bible and see if we can come to some resolution. And the question is, why was Satan created? God being most gracious, most merciful, most kind, why would God create such an entity that's sole purpose is to drive chaos and havoc and uh, frustration to so many multitudes of, of God's creations? And why would God do this? So inshallah, by no means is this going to be a definitive answer, but we're going to try our best to look at the verses and see if we can come to some understanding. And anytime we're dealing with these kind of uh, uh, very deep questions, I love referencing chapter 5, verse 116, where it says, God will say, O Jesus, son of Mary, did you say to the people, make me and my mother idols beside God? He will say, be you glorified. I could not utter what was not right. Had I said it, you already would have known it. You know my thoughts. I do not know your thoughts. You know all the secrets. So God gives us clues in the Quran so we can better understand him as our creator. Um, and in 5101, it says, Oh, you believe, do not ask about matters which if revealed to you prematurely would hurt you. If you ask about them in the light of the Quran, they will become obvious to you. God has deliberately overlooked them. God is forgiver, clement. So God willing, let's pray that uh, we come to the right understanding. And if we don't, God guides us to a better understanding. So to the question, why was uh, Satan created? One of the things that's uh, profound is everything that God creates is perfect. And when God creates Satan, it was no different. In the Bible, Ezekiel chapter 28, we read, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. And this is in reference to Satan. It says, you, have, you had the seal of perfection. And it continues in verse 14. It says, You were anointed angel who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. So when God created Satan, he created him perfect. He was blameless. And God gave Satan certain powers, certain, uh, you know, his angels, they have uh, magnificent powers that are bestowed on them by God. And God gives us the example in the Quran of a grape. A grape can be used to make a delicious drink that's uh, beneficial, or it can be used to make an intoxicant, which is harmful and hurts our soul. But it's still a grape, and it's God's creation. What we choose to do with God's creation dictates what the outcome is going to be. And God gave Satan these amazing powers, gave him amazing status. But Satan used this to exalt himself, to develop an ego. And this caused him to have unrighteousness. And in Isaiah chapter 14, we read what was in Satan's head. It says, have you fallen? How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You who weaken the nations, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recess of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So God gave Satan these amazing powers this amazing status. And rather than using this to grow in righteousness, what he did is he developed this to foster an ego, to think that he could be like God. And this was the, the, the fall of Satan. And it's not unique to Satan. People fall for this all the time. We're each given amazing blessings and bounties and power and influence. And how we choose to reflect upon that dictates if we're going to grow in righteousness or we're going to grow and develop an ego. And the aspect is when Satan had these thoughts at the time in the heavenly society, no one knew for sure 
Did they believe in God, worship God, devote themselves to God alone because they truly loved God? Or was it programmed in them as robots to do so? And you think of this, if there is a rule and no one ever breaks the rule, would you know that the rule even exists? And this is what it was like in the heavenly society. And when Satan breaks this rule and causes so many people to question God's absolute authority, uh, the, the rebels, um, it showed that this rule was something to not be taken lightly. And this is what we call the freedom of choice. We each have a choice to worship God, devote our lives to God freely or choose not to. And the decision's up to us. Now, when this freedom of choice was presented, the vast majority of God's creatures, you think of this, the number of angels, as far as we are concerned, is infinite. Uh, God says in chapter 74, I believe, verse 31, it says, none knows the soldiers of your Lord, that no one knows the number of angels, that there's so many of them that the closest number we can say is infinite. But then you extrapolate that out to every single planet, every single star, every single mountain, every single uh, uh, plant, every single mosquito, ant, right? We're getting into the quadrillions of quadrillions, right? Infinite. These creatures submitted wholeheartedly to God. They killed their ego. They said, no, we want to worship God alone. We don't want this freedom of choice. But a very small subset of humans and jinn said, no, we want to choose for ourselves. We want to decide for ourselves if God is the only creator, if there could be other gods beside God. And in chapter 33, verse 72, it says, we have offered the responsibility, freedom of choice to the heavens and the earth and the mountains, but they refused to bear it and were afraid of it. But the human being accepted it. He was transgressing ignorant. So God tells us this is a very scary thing, this freedom of choice. Um, because if you make the wrong choice, you're exiled from God's kingdom forever, for eternity. But the human being, us, we said, you know what? I want that choice. I want to make the choice for myself. And Satan did the same thing. Satan said, I want to be a God beside God. And I want to prove that I can be a God beside God. So God gave him a dominion, the planet Earth, gave him constituents, humans and jinns who choose to follow Satan, and said, okay, you be a God beside God. And you look at all the misery and frustration we have in this world, and this is because of Satan's incompetence, because these are the individuals who chose, freely choose, to be outside of God's kingdom. When we came into this world, we lived for, you know, eons before this. We were souls, we were developed, we had uh, consciousness, and we chose to come into this experiment. And um, Satan, he was exposed. So up until this point when the experiment was conducted, we thought that this experiment was for the human beings, the rebels. But we didn't realize that the root cause of all this was Satan. And this is part of God's system. So to understand why God created Satan, Satan serves a purpose. And what is that purpose? So first, Satan has to be exposed. When God created the heavens and the earth, he created human beings. He asked the angels to serve the human beings during this experiment. In 234, it says, when we said to the angels, fall prostrate before Adam, they fell prostrate, except Satan. He refused, was too arrogant, and a disbeliever. So at this point, Satan becomes exposed. And it becomes apparent that he says, look, I don't want to follow God's commandment. God tells you, uh, tells the angels, serve the human beings. All of them do it, except Satan doesn't want to do it. You know, all of God's creations are designed for a specific purpose. Um, we see in uh, 2039, in reference to uh, Moses, says, I had you made before my watchful eye. I had you made just for me. And this is no different than every other entity, every other creation that God has created. God is fully aware. One of the, the, the names of God is that he's omniscient, all-knowing. 
to think that anything is outside of God's knowledge, be it in the, the, the past, the future, uh, the present, um, is not knowing God. In 277, it says, do they not know that God knows everything they conceal and everything they declare? So God knows what is in Satan's heart. God knows Satan is going to make this pitfall, but it all falls within God's plan. In 1061, it says, you do not get into any situation, nor do you recite any Quran, nor do you do anything without us being witnesses thereof as you do it. Not even an atom's weight is out of your Lord's control, be it in the heavens or the earth. Nor is there anything smaller than an atom or larger that is not recorded in a profound record. In 5722, it says, anything that happens on earth or to you has already been recorded even before the creation. This is easy for God to do. So God knew exactly when God created Satan what he was destined for. But it was all part of God's plan. Nothing happens in vain. God knew exactly that he was created perfect, that Satan was going to take these God-given powers that God has bestowed upon them. He's going to foster an ego to think that he could be a God beside God. But why? Because there were other entities at that time who had doubt, being the humans, the jinns, that had to be exposed. And God gave all of us the freedom of choice to choose. Do we want to devote ourselves to God alone, to love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul? Or do we want to follow our own egos? In 3875 says, he said, O Satan, what prevented you from prostrating before what I created with my hands? Are you too arrogant? Have you rebelled? He said, I'm better than he. You created me from fire and created him from clay. So Satan thinks that, hey, he's going to defy God. He's going to object to God's commandment. God is telling Satan, serve the human being. And Satan's going to say, no, I'm not going to do it. Now, this is where it gets absolutely amazing. In 383, it says, are they seeking other than God's religion when everything and the heavens and the earth has submitted to him willingly and unwillingly? And um, to him, they will be returned. So irrespective, Satan chooses to submit willingly or unwillingly. Him and everyone else, every single entity is going to be serving God, irrespective. So you think of this, God, uh, Satan says, I don't want to serve the human being. I'm made from fire. I'm better than he. You know, he's made from clay. Now, what did Satan not realize? What happens when you put clay into fire? When you put clay into fire, it doesn't destroy the clay. It purifies it. It takes out the impurities. This is what happens when you put clay into an oven. It gets hot, it gets uncomfortable, but what comes out of it is a stronger material. And Satan doesn't realize this. In 7.15, it says, He said, you have, uh, you are granted a respite. He said, since you have willed that I go astray, I will skulk for them on your straight path. I will come to them from before them and from behind them and from their right and from their left. And you will find that most of them are unappreciative. He said, get out there from and despise and defeated. Those among them who follow you, I will fill hell with you all. So Satan thinks he's defying God. He's saying, I don't want to serve. I don't want to serve the human being. And what is Satan ultimately doing? He's serving the human being by purifying them, by testing them, by exposing them. And yeah, there's going to be some people who are going to fall out. But the ones who make it, it's because of Satan's work (laughs) that they're able to become to their potential. In 1342, it says, Others before them have schemed, but to God belongs the ultimate scheming. He knows what everyone is doing. The disbelievers will find out who the ultimate winners are. So Satan thinks he's scheming, but to God belongs the ultimate scheme. How do you scheme against someone who knows 
every single move in a game. It's comical, but this goes to show the level of hubris that Satan has. Satan thinks that he's defying God, but realistically, he's here for a purpose. He's serving God. And the way he's serving God, even by unwillingly, is that he's purifying the human beings. And we see this every single test we have, admission test, um, we see the examples of Adam and Eve. Who tested them? It was Satan. Who brought out their true convictions? It was Satan. We see Job. Job had, you know, everything taken away from him. Who did that? It was Satan. You know, it brought Job up to a Job to a new level to show the level of his belief. You look at the example in the Bible with Jesus. Jesus was tempted for 40 days by Satan. Who did that? Satan did that. Satan was purifying Jesus. Now, isn't that funny that the person who said, I don't want to serve the human being, ultimately is serving the human being? That by his admission that he's made of fire and the human being is made of clay, He's serving the very purpose he was designed for. And we see this also in Abraham when he had the dream that he thought was from God to sacrifice his son, Ishmael. We see that this dream actually came from Satan. Satan was the one who was testing him. So here's just a simple tangent. How can you tell if God is testing you or Satan's testing you? It's very simple. The only way God tests us is through his commandments. Where God gives us a specific commandment to do something. Uh, be it do our contact prayers, give to charity, lead a righteous life. When Satan tests us, he causes havoc, misery, uh, frustration to see if he can pull us out of God's kingdom, to see if we can, uh, he can convince us to become unappreciative, greedy, to turn away God, uh, against God's ways. And, um, I want to just show two examples. So the first one is in, uh, Muhammad to show this is an example of, you know, God testing the human being. It says, no believing man or believing woman, if God and his messenger issue any command, has any choice regarding that command. Anyone who disobeys God and his messenger has gone astray. And it says, recall that you said to the one who is blessed by God and blessed by you, keep your wife and reverence God, and you hid inside yourself what God wished to proclaim. Thus you feared the people when you were supposed to fear only God. When Zaid was completely through with his wife, we had you marry her in order to establish the president for a man can marry a divorced wife of his adopted son. God's command shall be done. And you think how profound this is, that God told Prophet Muhammad to do this very uncomfortable thing, to marry the wife, the divorced wife of his adopted son, to set this precedent. And this was a command issued by God. This is the kind of test that God institutes. The other one is in regards to Abraham in 2.124. says, Recall that Abraham was put to the test by his Lord through certain commands. And he fulfilled them. Um, God said, I'm appointing you and a mom for the people. He said, and also my descendants. He said, my covenant does not include the transgressors. And I believe this is in reference to the uh, uh, circumcision um, that's in Genesis uh, chapter 17, where God is asking Abraham to fill a commandment to guarantee his covenant. And it very much uh, matches uh, what's in uh, Genesis 17. So it says, Now when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you 
make nations of you, and kings will come forth for, from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you, throughout the generations for everlasting covenant to be God to you and to the descendants after you. I will give you and your descendants after you the land of uh, Sarans and the land of Canaan and everlasting possessions, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now is for you. You shall keep my covenant and your descendants and after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And you think of this, this is a guy that is 99 years old, asking, God is asking him to circumcise himself uh, in the uh, sake of basically establishing this covenant. And I'm going to read again, chapter 2, verse 124 from the Quran says, Recall that Abraham was put to the test by his Lord through certain commands, and he fulfilled them. God said, I'm appointing you an imam for the people, he said, and also my descendants. He said, my covenant does not include the transgressors. So I can't say for sure, but it sounds like 2.124 is in reference to Genesis 17, but um, it's just a speculation. So this is the way that God tests us. But when it comes to everything else, you know, all the other tests have showed that do we believe in God or not? Uh, this is instituted by, uh, uh, by Satan. In chapter 29, verse 2, it says, do the people think that they will be left to say we believe without being put to the test? So this is the purpose. In order for us to be redeemed back into God's kingdom, we have to be tested. And who's going to do the testing? It's going to be Satan. And we have to know that God created us and he knows exactly what we're capable of. He's never going to institute a test that we can't handle. In 2286 says, God never burdens the soul beyond its means, and to its credit is what it earns, and against it is what it commits. Our Lord, do not condemn us if we forget or make mistakes. Our Lord, and protect us from blaspheming against you like those before us have done. Our Lord, protect us from sinning until it becomes too late for us to repent. Pardon us and forgive us. You are Lord and Master. Grant us victory over the disbelieving people. So God never burdens the soul beyond its means. So that's very important, you know, and the reality is in re response to Satan, again, why would God create such an entity that's going to cause uh, havoc and cause so much misery? It's because God created him perfect. Satan chose to foster those blessings that God has given him to develop an ego. But despite this, unwillingly, Satan is still serving the human being. And the reality is Satan, just like every other of God's creations, that as long as they're living, as long as they have uh, time in this world, they have the opportunity to repent. But the irony is Satan's never going to repent. He's never going to uh, admit that he was the one to be wrong. And you see this. One of the criteria of the day of judgment of the disbelievers is that they blame everyone else for their follies. They never accept responsibility. And Satan's doing the exact same thing. And because they never accept responsibility that they always blame someone else, they're never going to feel the need to be able to repent. And the actuality is the farther they go astray, the likeliness of them coming back is diminishes to zero. And at this point, Satan's going to hell. It's a given. But he served his function. He served his purpose. In 7, uh, twelve again, it says, uh, since you have willed that I go astray. So this is in context to what Satan replies to God when God asks Satan to fall prostrate before Adam and Satan refuses. Satan's response is, since you have willed that I go astray. Now, this is a flat-out lie. God never willed for Satan to go astray. This was a choice that Satan made on his own. Yet, he, knowing this, because he thinks that it was God's decision, 
and he never accepts responsibility, he will never repent. In 39.53, says, Proclaim, O my servants who exceeded the limits, never despair of God's mercy, for God forgives all sins. He is forgiver, most merciful. You shall obey your Lord and submit to him totally before the retribution overtakes you. Then you cannot be helped. So God forgives all sins. And as long as we're living, breathing, and we have time in this world, we have the opportunity to, to repent. There was a funny skit uh, from a Louis C.K., now, I know he's not the most popular with the, uh, the allegations against him and, you know, what he's, uh, uh, accused of, but, uh, nevertheless, it's a funny skit. So Louis CK is in the supermarket with his two daughters and one of them, you know, uh, like pushes or something, the other daughter, and, uh, she claims it was an accident. And Louis CK says, Hey, it doesn't matter. If it's an accident, you still have to apologize. And, you know, she, she doesn't want to, but she caves in and she apologizes. And then as they're going through this uh, discussion, you know, some shopper walks by and bumps into the, the girl. And uh, they're saying, hey, you got uh, telling Louie, you have to go ask that girl to apologize. And um, she, he goes to her and, you know, he's like, basically, she's being rude to him. And eventually it ends with uh, the, the store manager asking the lady to apologize. She refuses. And eventually the cops come and they charge her with assault on a minor. And, uh, you know, all they're saying, like, look. Just make the sound. Just make the sound and say, I'm sorry. But it goes to show when someone has an ego, when someone doesn't want to accept responsibility, that they will do anything to not apologize, to not repent, to not say, I'm the one who's responsible. And um, an example of this is in Pharaoh. So when God told Moses uh, in 2043, he says, go to Pharaoh for he transgressed. Speak to him nicely. He may take heed or become reverent. At this moment, he had the choice. Pharaoh could have repented. Pharaoh could have became righteous. God knew that it was within his capabilities of doing this. But each time that Pharaoh saw God's miracle, had that spark of inspiration that he could be the uh, uh, the one that's uh, uh, wrong, he reverted. And this caused his heart to harden. To the point in 274, it says, Despite this, your hearts uh, harden like rocks or even harder, for there are rocks from which rivers gush out. Others crack and release gentle streams, and other rocks cringe out of reverence for God. God is never unaware of anything you do. And at the last moment of Pharaoh's life, he repents. And it says, We delivered the children of Israel across the sea. Pharaoh and his troops pursued them aggressively and sinfully. When drowning became a reality for him, he said, I believe there is no other God beside except the one in whom the children of Israel have believed. I am a submitter. Too late, for you have rebelled already and chose to be a transgressor. So we have a limited time on this world to not only come to the realization that, hey, we are the ones at fault. We are the ones to blame. But if we wait until the very last minute and say, I'm just going to repent, it's meaningless because we need time to grow and develop our souls to show that we're genuine, to show what's really inside our hearts. In 33, 35, 37 says, they will scream therein, our Lord, if you get us out uh, of here, we will work righteousness. Instead, the works we used to do, did we not give you a lifelong chance with continuous reminders for those who would take heed? Did you not receive the warner? Therefore, taste the consequences. The transgressors will have no one to help them. And you think of this, we're given a lifelong chance. We have until the age of 40, if that if we die before the age of 40, we go straight to heaven. And if we live past that age, we have to be able to make the choice to worship God alone. And if we fail in that, we have no excuses. You think every single day, every single moment, 
people have the, the opportunity to repent, to reform, to work righteousness, to maintain righteousness. And if we choose not to, we have no one to blame but ourselves. In uh, 6844, it says, Therefore, let me deal with those who reject this hadith, being the Quran. We will lead them on whence they never perceive. I will give them enough rope. My scheming, or it's formidable. Are you asking them for any money so they are burdened by the fine? Do they know the future? Do they have it recorded? You shall steadfastly persevere in carrying out the commands of your Lord. Do not be like Jonah who called from inside the fish. If were not for his Lord's grace, he would have been ejected into the desert as a sinner. But his Lord blessed him and made him righteous. Those who disbelieve show their ridicule in their eyes when they hear the message and say he is crazy. It is in fact a message to the world. So God is giving every human being in this world a message. And that message is to worship God alone. Now, we can choose to side with Satan and say, no, we don't want to worship God alone. We want to worship our own egos. And the consequences to that would be dire. And God willing, in next episode, we're going to talk about why would God send anyone to hell for all of eternity? So until next time, peace and God bless. If you guys got any comments or questions, please hit us up. This question actually came from a listener, so it's highly appreciated. Um, and if you guys got suggestions for other topics, would love to hear them. Until next time, peace and God bless.